0: Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org there's also our church app which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org app so thanks again for joining us this week and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you hey i heard uh, hunter phillips one of our uh, guys that leads one of our small groups turned 60 this week where is hunter at hunter back there happy birthday to hunter it's good to see you Let's all have a moment of silence for Hunter right now, 60 years old. So, hey, anybody else have a birthday this week? Anybody else have a birthday? All right, 50 over here. Wow, how about that? Awesome. Incredible. So, good to see you guys this morning. We are excited about being here today. Thank you for coming in the rain, and uh, it's always worth coming to church regardless of the weather. So, so glad you're here. We're in a series called Mega Transitions, and basically uh, we're kind of looking at uh, different things in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is about transitions, and uh, transitions, uh, basically the whole book is a transition in a political, governmental style. The book of Judges was chaotic and no real centralized government, so in 1 Samuel we see this big transition where you go from this disorganized country to uh, to a, a centralized government, and you also see two transitions between two important kings. The first king of Israel, King Saul, and then King David. Saul was a bad king, David was a good king, so it's a book about transitions. Today, we're going to talk about the transitions of faith from one generation to another generation. Uh, what does it look like when a family who loves Jesus, what happens to their kids as they grow up in church and they go through that process of going to church, going to Sunday school? Do those kids process the faith in their adult life? So we're going to look at a passage in uh, 1 Kings, or actually 1 Samuel, that's so interesting about uh, two people, two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli the priest, who was the overseer for Samuel. Uh, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and these sons did not translate the faith of their father into their lives. So we wanna talk about that today. It's important that we are successful in translating our faith from one generation to the next generation. I don't know if you've ever seen a a baton race. There's a picture of a baton. Uh, You think about the idea of passing on a baton to the next person. I remember in gym class, I didn't run track, but in gym class, we learned how to do baton races, and we did that in one of our gym classes, and the importance of being able to pass that baton on to the next runner. So we want to talk about how we do uh, in f- terms of passing on our faith as parents to our children or our grandchildren. So let's read a little bit of the story, and let's see how Eli failed uh, in, this, in this endeavor. Uh, here's what it says in uh, 1 Samuel Chapter, uh, 20, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Here's what it says. First, it's talking about Samuel. It says that Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy, that's Samuel, the little boy dedicated to the temple, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And then it says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated the Israelites who came to Shiloh, but even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priests would come and say to the men who were sacrificing, give the priest some of the meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the men said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now or I'll take it by force. And then it says, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up to the the husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take place the one you prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord." So you see in this story, you see actually three sons. There used to be a TV show back in the 60s from 1960 to 1972, a, a show called My Three Sons. How many of you ever remember seeing that, that show? Here's a picture, I think, of the, of the show. And you've got, uh, this is the father and you've got these three sons. And the, basically the story is about a widower who raises three sons. And uh, so it's this story that we're reading about today is about three different sons, three different sons. We have, we have two sons natural sons of, of Eli the priest, and then we have an adopted son, Samuel. Now, the deal is, is you've got these two natural sons of Eli the priest, Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible says that they are wicked before the Lord, and then you have Samuel who is serving the Lord and loving the Lord and is always... Uh, painted in glowing terms. He's always in the presence of the Lord. The Lord's, he's always obedient to the Lord. And so you have a contrast between uh, Hophni and Phinehas, and you've got Samuel, the good son. So if you've got three sons, you've got, in this story, you've got two sons that are wicked, and you have one son that is righteous and is on target. So my question today is, how can we raise children that are like Samuel instead of like Hophni and Phinehas? How can we do that? Now, what happens to kids when they are raised in church? I've been very, very concerned about that. Uh, what happens to kids that mom and dad bring them to church? They go to small uh, the, to the children's ministry here at Bayshore. What happens to them after high school and when they go to college? Do those kids continue to follow Jesus or do some of them fall away? Now, a lot of times, you know, I watch that. And I watch the kids that in our community go to Christian school, that they go to Christian school. Mom and dad shed out a lot of money to get those kids through Christian school. And uh, that's, uh, Karen and I sent our boys to Christian school from 7th grade to ninth grade. Uh, and I did an interview with my boys this week about their experience in Christian school and uh, how that played into their faith and those interesting conclusions about that uh, from their perspective. So I'm not slamming Christian school. I just can say this, that Christian school is not the primary thing that's going to make your kids continue to follow the Lord. So talk to them about that. But what, what is it that makes kids continue to follow the Lord so I watch kids in our community I watch kids that grow up in our church I've been here almost 40 years now so I've seen generations come and go so one of the things that I'm concerned about is what happens to kids when they get out of Bayshore they go to college and, and what happens to your kids when you raise them in the faith and you want them to follow Jesus what happens to them uh, as they become adults So that's a very very important thing so here's the deal the deal is we see some kids that when they go to college, they drift away from the faith. They drift away from the faith. Now, here's the deal. 11% studies say, there's been research done that 11, only 11% of the kids that completely leave church uh, did not have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus as they grew up. Basically, if a child growing up in church has a real authentic relationship with Jesus, 89% of those kids are going to stay in the faith. If they just come to church, if they come and mom and dad are nominal and not really completely following the Lord, not really uh, serving the Lord with all their heart, maybe they come to church a little bit, uh, those are the kids that don't have a relationship, a real relationship with the Lord because they don't see it at home. Those are the kids that you end up seeing leave church and never come back to church. But the kids that grow up in church, according to Pew Research, that grow up in church and they're around a a vibrant Bible teaching church where the Holy Spirit is moving and God is moving. And if they in their lifetime growing up in church, if they have a real relationship with the Lord and they really meet Jesus, only 11% of those kids are going to walk away from the faith. So that means that what we do here on Sunday morning is you bring your kids consistently to church, uh, not simply bringing them to church. That is not enough. We need to, uh, to see that these kids have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus, loving Jesus, and serving Jesus. Last night I went to the, uh, the Teen Bash here. And uh, they started out with some rap music, worshiping the Lord. And there's like 40 kids in this room. And I'm standing back there eating an airhead. I learned about an airhead. Anybody ever eat an airhead before? It's a little thin piece of just basically sugar. So my life was changed last night. I ate one of those. And I'm watching these kids. There's about 40 of them in there. And they're singing some kind of rap music. And the words are on the screen. And they're all jumping up and down. And they're worshiping the Lord while they're singing this song. And I said to the guy next to me, I said, that is the... That is worship of the future right there. Kids that are really enjoying Jesus, loving Jesus. We know that uh, parents and kids and teenagers that by in mass are leaving main denominational churches. They are leaving the Methodist churches, the Presbyterian churches, the Episcopalian church. They're leaving in mass. But non-denominational churches that are preaching the word and the worship is vibrant, those churches are slightly growing in those areas of young adults. So that's very important that we that we that we work on that. But you look at this story. This story, when I read this story, and I read about these wicked uh, sons of, of of Eli the priest, these sons could not have been closer, could not have been closer to the spiritual epicenter of their day. They were serving in the tabernacle at Shiloh. And that meant that they were serving right next to the Ark of the Covenant. That inside of the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments and the Rod of Aaron. That butted an interesting story in the Old Testament. And they were handling the sacrifices every day. But the the English Standard Version says that they did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. They were around it, but they did not know the Lord. So what we need to pray for in our churches, in in Bayshore, and all of our campus, we need to pray for that our children will have an authentic relationship with Jesus. And when we're praying, we need to be praying not simply that they're coming to church, but when they come to church, that the Holy Spirit really impacts them and touches their life because they need to have an authentic and real relationship with the Lord. And if they have a real relationship with the Lord in this time period of their life, not simply going to church, but they have a real relationship with the Lord, that there's a high probability that those kids are going to continue to follow the Lord. So that's what we need to, that's one of our goals here at Bayshore. We love children here. We talk about children all the time and we have a passion to pray. In fact, I walk in this auditorium during the week, uh, two times a week uh, when I'm here on Mondays and Tuesdays. I spend a couple hours in this auditorium praying over our ministry here. And one of the things we're praying is that building next door where our children are, as they're going through their lessons, we're praying that the Holy Spirit will touch them and they will have a relationship with the Lord. And how many want your kids and your grandkids not just to come to church but to really meet Jesus can you say a big amen? amen that's what our goal is that's what our passion is we want to see these children really have an authentic a relationship with the Lord you read about the story of Jacob in the Old Testament Jacob was the son of Isaac Jacob was you know, raised around the, the, the teaching of Yahweh and the Ten Commandments and all that. And the Bible says that when Jacob uh, left home, that he had a dream and he had an encounter with the Lord. And later on in his life, when he was coming, his brother Esau was coming to do him harm and he's praying, he's in a crisis moment. And that's one of the things that has to happen with kids. Kids need, sometimes kids, their faith is sort of, sort of a nebulous until they have a real crisis in their life. And then they come back to faith Uh, because, you know, when we have our kids, I don't know how your kids were, but raising our kids, you know, we wanted to protect them from all the crises in life. And it's the crises in life that sometimes that bring kids to the Lord. And so maybe if your kids have left the faith and they're not walking with the Lord, one of the things that's going to happen to them as they go through life, you have put in their minds and put in their hearts, the word of God and taught them about the Lord. When they have a real crisis in their life, that's when they will turn to the Lord and turn back to the Lord. So if you see your grown-up kids go through a crisis, you don't wring your hands. Sometimes that's the work of God in their life, bringing them back to faith. But Jacob had a crisis in his life. His brother was coming to kill him. And he's wrestling with God. And he went back to the God of his fathers. And he's beginning to see the God of his fathers. In the middle of the night as he's praying, the Lord touches Jacob and hits him in the hip. And for the rest of Jacob's life, the Bible says he walked with a limp. And God touched his life and changed how he walked. And so one of the things we need to pray for is for our kids to have a real, authentic, loving relationship with the Lord. And if, if your kids have left the faith and not walking with the Lord, one of the things you want to pray for is when those crises come in their life, crises comes in everybody's life, that those crises will bring them back to a place of faith. Because it's possible, it's possible to grow up around the things of God, like Hophni and Phinehas, to be very close and to not have a heart for the Lord at all. Now, I was thinking about uh, different preachers' kids that are famous preachers' kids. Uh, one of the things that's uh, one of the people that's a famous preachers' kid is. Uh, Katy Perry. Does anybody know who Katy Perry is? She's on uh, the American Idol. <clears throat> Does anybody listen to Katy Perry's music? I don't know a lot about Katy Perry's music. I listened to her music this week. I did a quick study on her and listened to her music and I'm not an expert on the content of her music. But I know this, I know her mom and dad were traveling evangelists and they, they, they served the Lord. She was raised in a very strict environment uh, she wasn't allowed to listen to, to uh, sector music. There was a lot of rules in her household. And she uh, basically was raised in that environment. Here's a picture of Katy Perry. I think we got a picture of her. And uh, she's, uh, she's very, very famous. She sold 11 million, 11 million albums and uh, one of the best, uh, I think, 81 hit signals, singles. She's done inc- incredibly well. But her mom and dad were, uh, and I looked up her mom and dad, uh, l- did some research on them, and they were like charismatic uh, travelers where they would preach the word and prophesy over people, minister to people. She came out of very, very uh, conservative, spirit-filled roots. That's where she came from. And so she came out of that environment. And so what happened to Katy Perry was was that her, She, as her career rose, and I think one of the things that was evident to me as I looked at her little profile, looked at her life, is that it seems like that she was raised in a home that was very, very strict. Very, very strict, which is uh, not always a bad thing, but sometimes Christianity for children can become all about the rules, keeping the rules. And it seems like maybe her home was a little legalistic. And uh, so she went completely the other direction. And let me read you what she believes about the Lord. Now, here's, here's what Katy Perry says about her faith now, if I can find it here. I've got it here somewhere uh, what she says. Okay, Katy Perry, you know, her parents are... Uh, put that down there. Uh, Keith and Mary Hudson, and they traveled the world sharing the gospel. Katy Perry began singing at the age of nine in church. And uh, her home had very, very strict guidelines and she was limited to exposure to secular, mu- secular, secular music. But here's what Katy Perry says about her faith now. Katy Perry says, I don't believe in heaven or hell or an old man sitting on the throne. I believe in a higher power, bigger than me, because that keeps me accountable. And that was um, Marie Claire magazine. And then GQ magazine did an interview with her about her faith, and here's what she said. I believe in a lot of astrology, I believe in aliens, I look into the stars and I imagine how self-important are we to think that we are the only life form. Uh, that's GQ magazine. So you can see that Katy Perry, her belief system has gone really, really far away from what she was raised to, to be. And so she's sort of like a, a modern-day Hophni and Phineas. She was raised around spiritual things, but yet she's departed from that. She's departed from that. So I ask my sons. My sons are... Uh, I'm very, very grateful, both my sons are, are serving the Lord, and uh, one of my sons is, a, you know, is the pastor of our, as of our, the campus pastor at a Rehoboth campus, so uh, we raised our, our kids uh, to love the Lord, uh, we took them to church, uh, and we, we, we needed them in the children's program, so we took them to church, and uh, that was a little joke there, so anyhow, not a very good one, but anyhow. Uh, so I, I said to Tim and Joel, I said, listen, I know mom and dad, I know we weren't perfect. I mean, I, I'm always better than your mom, but anyway, I said, we were, we weren't, we weren't perfect, but what did we do right? And what did we do wrong raising you? Because, uh, they both love the Lord. Tim is 37, I believe, and Joel's 35. And, um, they're both serving the Lord. My son, Tim, works in the uh, sector world. He works uh, for Echelon or uh, Shell Brothers, and he's one of the designers, and he's very a uh, project manager and all that. He's, doing, he's with a lot of wealthy people, rich people, and he's working in a very sector environment. And yet he's, he's serving the Lord, loving the Lord, following the Lord. And uh, right now he's probably down at the Rehoboth campus, helping at that campus. So my, uh, I asked him, I, said, uh, I sent him an email. I said, uh, what is it? What was it about our home that made you want to continue to serve the Lord? And I know that a lot of this is the grace of God. A lot of this is the grace of God. So I got a re- response from Joel right away and took Tim three days. I wasn't sure if he was a Christian or not. So, <laughs> so Joel responded right away. And here I can put on uh, Joel's response here, what Joel said. Joel said, for me, see you and mom live out your faith was a, was a huge positive for me. You guys didn't force faith information down our throat. But you did live it out the best you could. And I'm a big believer that more is caught than taught. So seeing our parents' faith at home was more impactful than scheduled Bible lessons. Sorry, Dad, he said. <laughs> our devotional life, leading our kids in devotions, was a disaster. It was a disaster. They would cut up and they'd get, you know, make a bunch of noise. I'd get mad. The whole thing just completely blew up in our face. But uh, anyhow... Joel's doing it with his kids now, and it's going pretty good. But anyhow, I I wasn't good at it. Uh, And then he says, uh, Also, you guys let us breathe our faith, meaning you let us struggle some. You let us ask questions. You let us figure out some of it on our own. You let us make mistakes without condemning us. In other words, you let us test it out without being a house that was about the rules. I've seen my friends' homes that made faith all about the rules, and then they eventually completely walked out on God. So I'm a big believer. Uh, so I'm a big believer. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You taught us that a relationship with God was always first, and then we'd have a desire to live out the rules. And God's rules weren't ever taught us as God wants to stop you from having fun, but God wants to keep us from getting hurt. Last. He says, I like that we were a go-to-church family. Church was a priority and not just because you were the preacher and because that just is what we did. We didn't skip church for school sports or activities. Church was never looked at as an option. We were just a go-to-church family, and I think that's a value, a huge value. I appreciate him saying that. I think sometimes parents have an idea that if we... uh, if we make our kids go to church all the time, they're going to hate church and rebel against it. My son's testimony was the opposite of that. You know, we, did, we didn't argue about church. Hey, you're going to go to church. We just said, hey, we're, this is what we do. We floss our teeth and we go to church. That's what we do. And so we just went to church and we never had an argument about it. We just kind of did it. And we, we, uh, we made it fun and we enjoyed it. And, uh, and by the way, as a preacher, you know, my sons were preacher's kids. We never aired the dirty laundry about the church in front of our kids. Uh, we just like we just celebrated the great things and all that. So that was good. So that's what Joel said. Now here's Tim's statement. Here's what he said. Tim is the uh, he's the he's the one that pushes the edge in our family. He keeps us uh, keeps us praying. So he's the guy. <laughs> here's what Tim said. I feel like Christianity in our home was very genuine, not fake, not forced, but authentic. It also wasn't perfect. I saw it acted out day in and day out by both you and mom. Jill and I both have a vivid memory of you reading your Bible every morning. That wasn't done for show or to impress anyone. It was done out of a deep love for God's Word. In my opinion, the results speak for themselves. Many kids our age grew up looking at their home life and wanting to change the experience for their kids moving forward. When I was a kid, he put in parentheses, when I was a kid, I nev- I'll never treat them that way. I grew up thinking, when I have kids, I want them to have what I had and it possibly even more. So that was a great, great compliment from him. i was just really, really grateful for that. And uh, so I'm giving him more for Christmas this year. So anyhow, that was really... <laughs> so what I heard my son say to me is I looked, number one, it wasn't about the rules. It wasn't like, do this, do that. Uh, It wasn't about, you know, you can't think outside of the box. If you have have some questions about the faith, if you have some struggles about the faith, it's okay to talk about those things. So we had those conversations. We talked about evolution. We talked about the age of the earth. We talked about all the things that they were having to think through. And so it was okay to talk about those things. So those things are important. And so I was, uh, and the other thing that came out, the key theme, was this idea of authenticity that faith has to be authentic in mom and dad. It has to be authentic in mom and dad. The bottom line is, if, there is a, uh, if there's a nominal view of Christianity, what I mean by nominal is that you somehow come to church basically uh, just out of, you know, sort of basically coming every once in a while, and you don't have real faith outside of what you have here, then that will never translate to the next generation. Christianity has to be at your home. It has to be in the center of your home. It has to be, at the, it has to be the centerpiece of what you do. Your life has to be revolving around Jesus if your life is revolving around Jesus and you're loving Jesus all the time and Jesus is the center of your life and kids see that Jesus is not just something that you do every other Sunday, but Jesus is an integral part of your life where you love Jesus at home and you serve the Lord and you read the Bible and and you ask forgiveness when you sin and you're seeking the Lord and you're trying to be more like Jesus. When kids see that authentic model, that's what makes them want to follow Jesus. That's what makes them want to follow Jesus. For me, yesterday I was with my dad. My dad is 82. And what made me follow Jesus as a a young boy, I found the Lord, I met the Lord when I was 12 years old. What made me follow Jesus was what I saw, not at church, but what I saw at home. And what I saw at home is I saw my dad really loving Jesus and really seeking the Lord and really trying to be more like Jesus. And I saw him reading the Bible and I saw him loving the Lord. And it, it, we talked about Jesus, not just at church, but we talked about Jesus at home as well. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, let me read a little bit of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter six gives us a formula for what our homes are supposed to be like. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through seven says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. Here's what God says to the parents, to the Israelite parents, in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say that with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So the question today, if I'm going to raise godly children, we have to say, do we love Jesus? Do we love the Lord with all our heart? Do we love the Lord with all of our heart? You can only, you can only pass on genuine passion. If you're genuinely passionate about Jesus, that would translate to the next generation. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them or teach them over and over again to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Everybody say, when you sit at home. Talk about them when you sit at home. See, it's, the, it's, the, it's when kids see genuine faith at home, when you sit at home, that makes them want to follow Jesus and become followers of Jesus as well. Impress them upon your children when you sit at home and when you walk uh, along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I think I have a picture of uh, Joel doing devotions with his uh, kids around the kitchen table. Uh, this was the other night uh, and they. Stacy is not gonna forgive me for having a picture of her in her robe. But uh, they have these, they take the orange curriculum that we use here at church has a devotional for children that you can use at home as well. And so every night, uh, Joel and Stacy uh, they sit down with their kids for about 20, 25 minutes and they go over that curriculum, they read through it and they ask them questions. And they had a story about Mary and Joseph the other night and Nixon said, was Mary fat? Was Mary fat when she was on the donkey? And uh, that was an interesting thing. I never thought about that, but I said, you know, that's, that's, that's an insight, Nixon, I guess, so And uh, they do this regularly. So their faith is not just in church. Their faith is at home as well. And that's what it says. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home uh, and when you walk on the road, when you're in the car. You talk about your faith. You talk about Jesus. Not 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 put on a religious hat talking about Jesus, but let's just let Jesus be part of your conversation. And 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 Jesus part of your your daily life. If you're going through struggles at work or or whatever, or health issues, you just Jesus is a part of everything. Every time our kids got sick. Every time they got sick, we would pray for them and uh, they would put our arms around them and pray for them. And did they miraculously get healed every time? Did they jump up and run around the house? No, it didn't always happen. We just prayed for them and we just uh, saw the Lord when when Tim was uh, going through trying to make the basketball team. Uh, you know, we prayed for him, he was, uh, was kind of heavy when he was younger, and uh, he was having a hard time making the basketball team, and we remember praying for him, and the Lord would help him with that. And so Jesus was just a part of the everyday parts of our life. And just say this with me, Jesus has to be intricate to your basic life for your kids to follow the faith. Now now this principle is found in Second Timothy as well in the New Testament. 2 Timothy says this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I've been reminded, uh, this is Paul writing to Timmy, I've, uh, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, listen to this, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you as well. So Paul said, your mom, Timothy, had sincere faith or authentic faith. The word sincere there is a word that basically means without hypocrisy. In other words, they weren't wearing a mask. It wasn't pretentious. It was sincere. It was authentic. And what what they were... See, witnessing to our children is not something... Listen to this. Witnessing to our children is not something we say. It's something that we are. Witnessing to our children is not something we say. It's something that we are. Say this with me. Say that with me. Witnessing to our children is not something we say, it's something that we are. So Paul told Timothy, uh, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. You have authentic faith. You have genuine faith. You have real faith. You have genuine and real faith, Timothy. And that genuine and real faith that you have came from your mom and your grandmother. And a great thing about this story is, is that you don't have a dad mentioned here. We know from other scriptures that Timothy's dad was a Greek and the implication was he was not a believer. So here's an imperfect family where you had a mother who had real faith and you had a grandmother who had real faith and a dad who didn't have real faith. A dad who would not go to church would rather sit home and drink a sick pack and watch the, uh, the race. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that he'd do that instead of church. And so that's what he would say. And so, uh, so Paul said that authentic faith was came from his mother, and went into his heart. And that's very, very, very important. So, what I think about about translating our, our uh, transitioning our faith from us to our children, and from us to our grandchildren is we need, number one, to pray for them to have an authentic experience with the Lord, to have a real authentic experience with the Lord. Because here's what I believe. I believe that every child is born with a sin nature and born unregenerate. Uh, My granddaughter Willow is 10 years old, and when she was 5 or 6, we would say grace, and she was totally disconnected. She was not interested in God. I tried to talk to her a little bit about, you know, the things of the faith. And when I talked to her, she just, just couldn't focus. Some of that was her age. But some of it had to do with she had not been regenerated yet. And now she got baptized about, uh, about a month ago I showed you the picture of her getting baptized. Now she loves Jesus. She's engaged. She's had an experience with the Lord at 10 years old. She has an experience with Jesus. And now when I talk to her about Jesus, she just wants to talk about the Lord. And she says, Papa, I don't know why I can't tell people about Jesus in my public school at Lord Baltimore. And I said, go ahead and tell them. If they lock you up, I'll get locked up with you. Well, go ahead. <laughs> But she has an authentic relationship with the Lord. Kids have to have, that's the number one thing. Pray, pray for them to have that real relationship with the Lord and uh, talk to them about their faith, things they don't understand, things they struggle with. And, uh, you know, that's, that's very important. The other thing is, is our faith has to be authentic. Our faith has to be authentic. The message for some of us today, even if our kids are grown up and they moved away, maybe we've gotten lukewarm in our faith Uh, You know, if you look at the history of the the Puritans, the Puritans came here in 1620. uh, The the Mayflower uh, Pilgrims came in 1620. Uh, The other, there was a a migration of Puritans in the 1630s around Boston. By 1650, the next generation had completely disconnected from the faith. So those original Puritans had incredible faith. They were very strict and very rule-oriented. So I think there's a, there's a correlation between legalism and kids departing from the faith. So, uh, but the next generation, the 1650 pilgrims, they had a thing called the, uh, the Puritans. They had this thing called the halfway covenant. The halfway covenant was they would let their kids become members of the church even though they hadn't had a relationship with the Lord. And if they lived morally and uh, you know, acted right, they could still be a member of the church even though they really didn't have a relationship with the Lord. They weren't allowed to take communion. So the missing piece there was, there was this legalistic, sort of legalistic approach to the faith. The next generation of Puritan kids rejected the faith. And, uh, and so the importance of uh, making sure that we don't overemphasize the rules. And we, uh, we don't overemphasize the rules. But the rules are an outgrowth of them having a relationship with the Lord. Very, very important thing. So... Here's the other thing I would say about that, and I got 22 seconds left, and I'm gonna I'm almost out of time here. The other thing I would say about this: this is not a hard science. This is not a hard science, because sometimes you can do everything right, and you have some kids that walk away from the faith. Sometimes you can do that. You say, Pastor Danny, how do you know that? Well, I know it because of Jesus. Had 12 kids. He had 12 disciples. Had 12 disciples how many know that Jesus did everything right? He did everything right. He was in touch with his father. He lived right. He taught them right. He never made a mistake. He never had to apologize to the disciples. I had to apologize to my kids a few times. He never had to apologize to his disciples. But he had one disciple that shortly went away from the faith, and that was Peter. Remember Peter? He came to Peter. He said, "Uh, Peter, I prayed for you. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you've got kids away from the Lord, are you praying for them every day? Are you praying for them every day? So Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned, when you return, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus did everything right, but he had one of his boys that went away from the Lord for a while, and then he came back. Now, there's a great, great preacher in our, one of the best preachers in America is a guy named John Piper. Anybody ever hear of John Piper? He's an author, great, great uh, teacher. John Piper had a couple boys, his son, Abraham. Uh, I think maybe I have a picture of Abraham Piper. This is Abraham Piper. This is John Piper's son. For four years, and I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't mean, John Piper, he's as close to Jesus as you can get. I mean, that man knows the word. He loves Jesus. When you hear him preach, he's like listen to the apostle Paul. And his son walked away from the Lord for four years. And his son said, all I want to do for four years is drink cheap sangria and sleep around. That's what he said. He said, I broke my parents' heart. He said, my parents loved on me. I came home. They never told me I couldn't come home. They loved on me. They prayed for me. They didn't beat me over the head. And he said, I didn't know Jesus. And that's why I was acting the way I was. And after four years, he came back and came back to his faith. You know, if you have a prodigal child, you know, the Bible says the prodigal son, when he came back, the greatest part of that story is the prodigal son, when he came back, the Bible says that the father saw him afar off. He saw him afar off. That means that he's been watching for that boy. And he saw him He was a long ways away. And when he was like a half mile down the road, he saw him coming because every day he was looking down the lane. So Pray. And look for your kids to come back to the Lord every day. Pray for them. Believe for them to come to the Lord. And so a, the other disciple that Jesus had was Judas. Of course, Judas went AWOL. And so you can do everything right. And sometimes you have kids to disconnect. But our responsibility is to keep praying, keep seeking the face of the Lord. And if you were nominal Christian when you raised your kids and they're not really engaged in the faith right now, repent of that. Get on fire for Jesus now. Love them now. Take care of your grandkids. Do whatever you have to do. Just keep loving Jesus in front of those kids and show them the authentic faith now because it's the authenticity of our faith. It's the authenticity of our faith. It's the sincere faith that lives inside of us that's transferable to the next generation. So I, just, I, I have a dream, and my dream is is not only will my kids serve the Lord, they do serve the Lord, but all my grandkids will serve the Lord, and my great-grandkids will serve the Lord. Because I want to put into our family the emotion of genuine, authentic faith, because genuine, authentic faith is what's transferable to the next generation. And we have, those of you that are raising kids now, and you got your kids at home, and they're young, Boy, I tell you what, you have such a great time to be right with the Lord and serve the Lord and love Jesus. And, uh, hey, I'm all about, I'm all about uh, sports. I'm all about academic achievement. I'm all about all that stuff. But listen, that stuff cannot be the center of your home. Jesus has to be the center of your home. Put Jesus in the center of your home. Do sports, do academics. But if your kids become, uh, they graduate with perfect uh, scores out of Harvard and they become the governor of our state and if they don't know Jesus, we've missed the mark because the most important thing is for our, our children to follow Jesus. i want to read one last scripture and this is it, I'm done. I'm four minutes over today and so next week you probably won't get it back. But anyhow, there it is, I thought <laughs> Here's, let me read this last scripture to you, John, third John, there's three little epistles of John, third John verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Would you lift your hands this morning? those of you that have kids, some of your kids are in the faith. Some of your kids are not in the faith. Some of you are raising your kids right now. They're in the church. Just lift up your hands. And as Peter said to, to, as Jesus said to Peter, uh, Simon, Simon, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Lift up your hands right now and pray for your kids and pray for the Lord to work in their life. Lord, we just thank you, God, that you see these hands and you hear these prayers. You hear the names that are being lifted up to you right now of children that are not walking in the faith, Uh, those of us that have children that are walking in the faith, we pray for you to protect them. But we pray that you'll still use our witness, our witness at this stage of our life, that we can continue to be a witness for Christ and we can lift Jesus up before our family so that our family, maybe when they go through a crisis like Jacob went through, that they'll come back to the faith, those that have gone away. And we pray for you to work in their lives in a powerful way. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And Just say this with me. Lord, it's my dream. It's my passion that my children would walk in the truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen.